This podcast is sponsored by GCK Consulting, a next-generation political consulting firm. From fundraising to polling to campaign strategy, GCK is helping get millennials elected all across the country. To learn more about GCK and their services, just go to gckconsults.com. Again, that's gckconsults.com. All right, now to the podcast. Hey, everyone. Welcome to the Millennial Politics Podcast. I'm your host, Nathan Rubin. And today I'm joined by Sam Jeske, Senior Fellow here at MP, and Ethan Wolf. Ethan is the co-founder and former chair of Jews for Joe, and he's the founder and co-executive director of Jewish Unity PAC. Ethan, thank you so much for coming on today. Thank you so much for having me. It's, it's, a, it's an honor and a privilege to be here. Well, the, the privilege is ours. So can you start by giving us a bit more about your background and your journey? You are a junior in college, but you've already founded two organizations uh, closely aligned in electoral politics. How did you get into this work and what's your why for dedicating your time and energy to this? Sure. Uh, so as, as you mentioned, I am a junior at The Ohio State University. I'm studying public affairs and economics and my history in politics, uh, it began from a very young age, uh, watching the West Wing with my with my dad and talking with my grandpa and and my dad about you know their stories and and their progressive politics. And and truthfully, you know, I grew up in Deerfield, Illinois. Uh, it's a very it's about 45, 50 percent Jewish uh, area. So I didn't really realize about my own Jewish identity because it was so common and so known to me in Deerfield. But when I got to Ohio State, I found that, you know, my identity was very different than, than people around me, the religion that I practiced, um, the traditions, the food, you know, it, it was all sort of different. And that was when my freshman year, um, I, I fought my first BDS fight. Uh, we ended up winning and it was, you know, terrifying and exciting and all these different emotions but but I truly fell in love and found my own personal identity there and I also called back upon stories that my my father shared and my grandfather about them growing up in Skokie Illinois uh, which is in the Jewish community a very famous area where in 1979 uh, the Nazis decided to hold their march because it was a very high Jewish population and my dad and my grandpa, they went to, to those marches uh, and they protested against them. And, and they always told that story as a reminder to me about my identity and who I am and the, and the fights that I need to, to pick to make sure that my community is empowered and also make sure that all minority and all marginalized communities never feel you know, scrutinized or discriminated against. And, and that's really where my passion lies. It lies at the intersection of Judaism and politics and, and, you know, coming back from school, uh, you know, March, you know, 6th, I came back from Ohio State because our semester got canceled. And I realized, you know, I could have a really substantive uh, impact on this election. And I started Jews for Joe. Um, and that was, you know, the beginning, I would say, of like this grassroots movement that is seeking to mobilize high schoolers, college students, and young professionals to take an active stand in this election. So 
you just did a little bit, but tell us a little bit more about Jews for Joe. What is your mission and what have been some of your successes thus far in the election cycle? Yeah. So Jews for Joe's mission is to, again, as I mentioned, mobilize high schoolers, college students, and young professionals to not only go out and vote for Joe Biden, but we're looking to gain volunteers. We're looking to find really avid supporters and, and, and get them to phone bank, text bank, tell their friends. In 2008, uh, Sarah Silverman and a couple others had this great concept. It was called the Great Schlep. And it was really clever because the whole idea was getting young folks like myself to, to, make, to call their grandparents, their Jewish grandparents. And the whole idea was a lot of Jewish grandparents live in Florida. So by calling their Jewish grandparents and you know, telling them about Barack Obama and telling them about democratic politics, they were then getting out the vote. And that's sort of what we're trying to do to an extent. We're trying to, to really highlight the younger movement and the grassroots, but also transcend age by phone banking, text banking, holding really powerful events. We've had events with um, Attorney General Josh Shapiro, Congresswoman Joyce Beatty. We just had one with uh, Fred Gutenberg, uh, Beto O'Rourke. And, and we've, we've had these events and they've really motivated this younger generation of, of Jewish leaders to, to take an active stand and really show off what are our values, what do we believe in, and how can that be then portrayed in politics and public service. That's awesome. And so can you tell us a little bit about, you know, the structure of your organization? Do you have college chapters around the country? Um, do you have, you know, a number of volunteers or, or board members that you can talk about? Yeah. So Jews for Joe was, I've, I'm no longer the, the chair of Jews for Joe. As you mentioned, I, I had to resign because I started a, a pack. Uh, but back in March, I came together with Ben Canis, who was a Ohio State graduate, and Eva Weiner, who went to Columbia. And we started to build this network uh, of, as I mentioned, high schoolers, college students, young professionals. And, you know, we, we sat there the first night and we created a Twitter handle and we created an Instagram page. And we thought that was going to be the brunt of the work, a social media campaign. And pretty quickly on, we realized we could have a much larger impact. We could actually build an entire organization. So with their help, we, we built up an organization that now has above more than 70 active you know, officers and directors that lead the charge. And then we have college ambassadors. Um, one of the interesting things that we're doing with our college ambassador program uh, is that you know, we're trying to work side by side with the Students for Biden movement um, and making sure that we're getting out the vote on every college campus we're empowering Jewish voices and perspectives so that their stories can be told and how it really pertains to Joe Biden and this election more than ever. And so, you know, we, we do phone banks every week. We, we have an event once or twice a week. Um, you know, we're up above, I believe, 60 college ambassadors on different campuses, which, you know, it's incredible. Never really could have imagined that, that this social, what started as a Twitter and an Instagram handle would amount to this, you know, incredible young Jewish grassroots movement for a presidential candidate. And, you know, I was very fortunate to have a lot of help. Uh, you know, Ben Canis and Eva Weiner both did a lot of work and they're now field organizers for the Biden campaign, um, but was really fortunate to, to work with them 
and to build this you know amazing movement. So Ethan, you talked about how you helped get Juice for Joe off the ground, and there is now a, a flourishing uh, organization there. You have since left to start the Jewish Unity Pack. How is that different from Jews for Joe? And can you talk a little bit about what the mission of Jewish Unity Pack might be? Sure. So Jews for Joe is purely grassroots, and it's really an organizing arm. And while we're not coordinated with the campaign, um, we we have the ability to tap into their phone banks, you know, and really communicate with them and and work alongside them. The Jewish Unity Pack is a little bit different. It's it's what's called an independent expenditure pack, and and the goal of this independent expenditure is to cut at digital content or mail ads or banner ads or a whole bunch of different ways of communicating, and really specifically target those key counties in Florida, Pennsylvania, uh, Texas, Arizona, Nevada, Michigan, Ohio. These key swing states that we need to win in order to win the presidency uh, and by you know you know the jewish population um just in terms of politics is overwhelmingly democratic it's about 70 percent. they vote 70 percent democratic but we need to again jewish unity pack is focusing on a younger demographic 18 to 35 year olds and we need to make sure that these people who might be their first time voting have the have ample information to do so we've seen the the attacks on the United States Postal Service. We've seen the the claims made that this will be a fraudulent election. We've seen the President Trump make these claims as an effort to suppress the vote. And Jewish Unity Pack is really working to to make sure that no, we do not suppress that vote. We make sure we get out in numbers and, and we go and we support the right candidate who fits our Jewish characters and ideals. So you just talked about how the Jewish community as voters, they're an overwhelmingly democratic group. Um, mm-hmm. Why do you think that is? What values drew you to the Democratic Party? And what do you think draws the broader Jewish community to the Democratic Party? So I, I think there's a number of things. And, and there, there's a common um, mischaracterization of the Jewish community that we only believe our number one voting issue is the state of Israel. And, and while I am incredibly passionate and have done large amounts of work of pro-Israel advocacy, that is not the number one voting issue amongst Jewish voters. We vote on healthcare. We vote on the economy. We vote on gun reform. We vote on climate change. We vote on issues that are similar to every other American. And our Jewish values, I, I think, really come out because, A, there are a couple things. You know, from a very young age, I, I was trained in this idea of Lidor Vador, from generation to generation, we pass on. And so when I think about who's trying to pass on a better world to, to the next generation, I, you know, I think the, Jew, the Jewish community rallies behind the Democrats right now because they care about climate change. They're paying attention to these, these issues. They see gun violence as a, as a huge issue in our society. They see injustice. You know, there's a quote in, in the Jewish world, justice, justice, we shall pursue. And, and and that's something that's incredibly important. Our community knows what it means to be marginalized. So when other communities experience it, we share their pain. You know, when we saw in May, George Floyd, Breonna Taylor, Ahmaud Arbery, we've seen a number of, of people of color and members of the black community be discriminated upon. And as members of the Jewish community, we have a responsibility to stand up and stand against that. And we, and, and, you know, 
I don't think there's ever been this big of a polarization in American politics in a long time. But, you know, the, the Jewish community is really receptive and really, you know, for fighting injustice and indecency. And, and it comes from our memory. Um, it really, it comes from our understanding of what it means to be marginalized all the way back to Egypt uh, when we were slaves there. And, and that was such, you know, again, it goes back to from generation to generation we pass on, but these are stories that go from one generation to another and they continue to live on and they continue to inform us today about modern issues and what's going on around us in our society. And so you just talked a little bit about certain issues, you know, that you and other voters like you think are important. And like all voting blocks, there are generational rifts here. Um, your group is on the young side. So how do you think your top issues compare to your parents, or your grandparents' generation? Yeah, I, I think that there, there are a number of differences, but also a lot of similarities. Um, I think first off, like, you know, my parents' generation, um, my, my dad and my grandpa, and really my whole family is, is a bunch of progressives. Uh, but, but also there are things that as a 20-year-old and being on a college campus that I'm exposed to that my dad and my mom and, and my grandparents never had the opportunity to see and never understand. And I think I do my best job to educate them. And, and they're really receptive. And they're really into, you know, learning, you know, oh, we can't use this phrase anymore. It, it's not actually societally okay. Or we need to do better. We need to fight for justice, you know. And so I think that it's really important that the younger generation continues to educate and continues to push our society forward to learn and to, to get better. And that's one of the most amazing things about America. Um, but one of the issues with that is that some people are not as receptive as my parents or my family. Um, and there's a little bit of pushback and there's, and it, and it's understandable. Change is a really scary thing. And for a country that, you know, has been a global superpower for a really long, a really long time to make such drastic structural changes is intimidating. And, and, and it's and it the it begs the question why make these changes if we're already a global superpower? Um, and I think it's really important, you know, to continue to have those conversations and continue to to transcend age. And, and the only way that you can do that is by having dialogue and having conversation. And I think that's what you know more than anything, you know, my generation is going to have to to learn and 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 figure out is how to communicate and how to how to talk with somebody that has different perspectives and ideas and values, you know, because, you know, even I'm, I'm Jewish, we're 2% of the population. So when I'm talking to non-Jewish voters, when I'm phone banking, you know, we have to talk about our differences and we have to talk about how we can move to, forward together. And so I think whether it's age, identity, gender, uh, sexuality, um, you know, whatever differences we may have, the, the number one most important thing that we can do is have dialogue and continue to engage with one another rather than push away and ignore. What's up, everybody? We're going to take a quick break from the podcast and let you know that Millennial Politics is now on Spotify, Stitcher, the Google App Store, and iTunes, basically anywhere you get your podcast. If you like the show and like hearing from previous guests, such as Mayor Pete Buttigieg, former presidential candidate Andrew Yang, Congresswomen Rashida Tlaib and Ayanna Presley, and many more, make sure you subscribe, give us five stars, and leave a review. 
High ratings and good reviews are some of the best ways people can find us. And if you want to see us continue doing this work, we hope you'll consider supporting us on Patreon at patreon.com slash millenpolitics. Every dollar will go directly towards our mission of shining a spotlight on progressive candidates, causes, and organizations. Again, if you want to continue hearing interviews and conversations just like this one, we hope you'll visit patreon.com slash millenpolitics and join the movement. All right, now back to the show. So I, I like where you were going with that, and I want to turn to um, the unfortunate rise of uh, increasing anti-Semitism in our political discourse. So on the right, uh, you know, we saw the rally in, Char- in Charlottesville where neo-Nazis chanted, literally, Jews will not replace us. And Donald Trump, in his now infamous speech, said there are fine people on both sides. Um, yeah. And then just a short time later, we saw the tragic Tree of Life synagogue mass shooting. So, um, you know, that we are witnessing an increase not only in dangerous anti-Semitic rhetoric, but in anti-Semitic acts, um, whether that's in Pittsburgh or New York City or elsewhere in the country. Um, but there's also a feeling of creeping anti-Semitism on the left, where lines are easily blurred, right, between valid criticism of, of the government of Israel, but in a lot of instances, it feels like that can morph into the slandering of the Jewish community. So I'm curious, what is your take on the current state of affairs and how can people perhaps levy some legitimate criticism when they feel that the the government of Israel should be criticized, but not going into uh, that murky territory of actual anti-Semitism? I, I think there are a number of really important things that you brought up there. First of which is there's anti-Semitism on both the left and the right. Anti-Semitism does not know a political party. It just knows hatred and bigotry. And so when combating anti-Semitism, you have to attack it on its face. And you have to, you have to understand where it's coming from, why it is emanating, and, and what to do next. So, you know, for, for President Trump and, and, you know, I bring, bring it back to my, my, my dad and my grandpa, because that was so much of their life story was seeing the Nazi rallies um, to see President Trump go out and, you know, not wholeheartedly condemn and, and as any other president has in, in the history of America, um, you know, to not condemn that anti-Semitism, to not condemn that hatred, it was incredibly offensive to me and, and my community. And, and while I don't speak on everybody's behalf, I think you know a vast majority would concur. Um, and you're absolutely right, anti-Semitism exists on the on the left. And when it comes to Israel, I'm I'm very critical of the Israeli government. Um, I think that annexation was was a poor decision, and obviously it's not going forward. And I'm happy about the UAE peace negotiations. Um, but, you know, we can be critical of the state of Israel, just as we would be of any other nation. America has flaws. I'm critical of America. I'm critical of President Trump in the same way that we can be critical of, of Benjamin Netanyahu, um, of any other Israeli leader. But the important thing is, is we don't delegitimize. We don't demonize. And, and, and we really, you know, we don't deny Israel's right to exist. And that's where the line gets crossed. And I think, you know, members of the left have, have waded into that territory, but I want to make it abundantly clear in terms of this election in 2020, um, I will take 
my chances with four congresswomen that I are, am not a huge fan of, but over uh, the most anti-Semitic, you know, the most powerful person in the world who doesn't condemn anti-Semitism, who yesterday, just yesterday, was talking about moving the embassy to Jerusalem, which is his big achievement in terms of Israel. And he said, that's for the evangelicals. They are more excited than that by the Jewish than the Jewish people. And so the president doesn't see see the Jewish people as anything more than votes. He doesn't see us as, as anything other than a political cudgel to divide support from you know Democrats because we do vote heavily in Democratic majority. But but back to your original question, we need to fight anti-Semitism no matter where it comes from. We need to condemn it and we need to make sure that we condemn all manifestations of hatred, uh, whether that's racism, uh, xenophobia, misogyny, you know, and, and this president really embellishes all of that. He, he, he really does. And it's, it's disgusting. And, and, and the Jewish community knows better. And that's why, you know, I'm very confident in the movements that I'm working on and building. And I know that my, my community is going to rally behind me. I think what you said is pretty spot on, right? And uh, I think if you were to only watch kind of the right wing uh, media outlets, you would think that the squad, Elon Omar, AOC, Rashida Tlaib, you would think that they have immense power in our government, but they're just four legislators in the House of Representatives, a body of over 400, right? Whereas Donald Trump is the chief executive of the government. So the power differential between Donald Trump not condemning white supremacists and the squad having a progressive foreign policy, I think there is certainly reason to be more concerned about Donald Trump. Um, so I agree with with everything that you just said. Yeah. I, I also think it's important to note that Ilan Omar, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, Rashida Tlaib, they are not the ones that are sending secret police into our cities and, and, and targeting marginalized communities, people of color. And, and, you know, we use the term secret police. The first thought in my mind is the Gestapo. It's, it's the SS. It's, it's authoritarian. It's, it's tyrannical. And, and so when we, when we try and face these issues, you know, politics is a grown ups game and we have to, whether you're 20 or you're 40 or you're 60, you know, you have to make decisions. You have to make, you know, it's all about priorities. And, and uh, for me, you know, my priorities are, are fighting that type of behavior, fighting, you know, virulent anti-Semitism. Um, and then post 2020, we can, we can go back to, to having conversations about how do we educate and work with the squad who I believe do tremendous work outside of, <laughs> um, their Israel advocacy, outside of their dealings with the Jewish community. You know, they're the leaders of the green new deal. They're the leaders of the new healthcare plans. You know, they're my generation um, of, of leaders that so many of my colleagues and, and my friends are so, uh, so fired up for, they love when the new, like now this AOC video comes out. And, and I think it's important that, that we, we remember that and we, we work with, and we, we make friends and, and we, we build and we have dialogue. And, and I think these are people that for the most part, you know, you know, we need to continue to, to work with and we need to, you know, 
they, they are leaders on so many different fronts, but we need to continue to educate them on what anti-Semitism looks like and, and make sure that going forward, you know, we call it out and we make sure that they hear our voice and hear our story and hear our perspective. And, and, and that's how we'll continue to fight back against it. So I want to pivot a little bit to combining the work you're doing with your own personal experience. And so getting college students and other young people to vote is already a difficult task, and it hasn't gotten any easier with the pandemic and students not necessarily being on campus. You know, I, I go to school in Pennsylvania, but I live in New York. And so I'm lucky enough to be living off campus in Pennsylvania, and so I can vote in Pennsylvania. That's not the case for a lot of other students. A lot of students go to school in swing states, you know, those big state schools in the Midwest, but they live in places where their vote doesn't really matter so much. And so Mm -hmm. a big part of this November's election is going to be getting those students wherever they are to vote in places that matter most. And so as a college student, um, how do you think the Democratic Party and groups like yours can best mobilize young voters in these uncertain times? Yeah. First off, I think that there are a number of really important things to talk about when it comes to college voters. Um, I think, A, college voters have not voted as frequently as, as I would have liked, but they love to talk about politics. Um, they, you know, they love to talk about Bernie. They love to talk about AOC. They love to talk about you know, all these movements that are going on, but they never actually, you know, sometimes they don't take the step into the ballot box and and go vote. And I think that that's going to change in 2020. I I think that the stakes are A, way too high. There are too many glaring deficiencies in this government right now, whether it be it's totally um, incompetent response to COVID or the, the horrible, you know, the failure to even utter the words Black Lives Matter from, from the president or vice president, you know, uh, college students are, are they don't, we no longer have the privilege of, of ignorance and to just say, it doesn't pertain to me. Uh, it's not my issue. And that's the message that we have to take to, to college voters. And we have to say, there are communities, there are people that need us to come out and that need us to support them and fight for them. And, 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 and by doing that, we're going to motivate. So, you know, the most impactful thing, you know, my, the Jewish Unity Pack is is running digital content, and digital content is great. But the number one way of effectively reaching a a voter is talking to them, talking on the phone, telling your your college buddy, make sure you have a plan to vote. Oh, and then double checking to say, okay, so you just told me that today is November second, the election's tomorrow. How are you getting to the polls? Or did you already mail in your 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 mail in ballot? You know, making sure that our friends and, and those we surround ourselves with have ballots and then holding them accountable for getting their friends and their networks, you know, motivated and and, and ready to vote is, is the most effective way. And, and again, it comes back to this beautiful thing of person to person connection. And, and in a world of hyper connectivity where we spend time on Twitter, we spend time on Facebook, Instagram, we forget that the best way of talking to someone is picking up the phone. It would be to go out and see them in person, uh, but we can't even do that because of this administration's utter failure to to control the virus. So, so again, it, it's it's making sure we make person to person contact. You know, I ran a, a student government election at at Ohio State, 
and we had a, a voter tree. And literally, everybody was responsible for getting 50 people to vote. And we compiled a list of over 3,000 names. And that's how we got votes. It wasn't the odd interaction you might have had seeing someone on the Oval. It wasn't the, the, the ads that you can run. It's, it's really the person-to-person the -person context or contact that you can have with somebody. And that's, that's crucial as, as we get into September, October. You know, we're getting it to the point where it's about get out the vote. The votes are there. I know the polls are tightening a little bit, uh, but the votes are there. Now it's time to go get them. Make sure that the Trump administration isn't able to suppress it and just person-to-person -person contact. Ethan, thanks so much for, for coming on today. Our last question for you, how can people find you? How can they find Jews for Joe, the Jewish Unity Pack, and get more involved if they like what they hear? Yeah, absolutely. You can find me. I'm on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Um, you can search up Ethan Wolf, um, but it's E Wolf. E-W-O-L-F underscore seven on Twitter. And that's probably your best way of connecting. Um, my message box is open. In terms of Jews for Joe, if you want to get involved, visit jewsforjoe.com. Go to the take action form. And basically, you'll fill, out, fill it out. It'll ask you what your age demographic is, how you want to be involved. And, and then a representative will be in touch with you. And in terms of Jewish Unity Pack, it's jewishunitypack.net or jewishunity.net, J-E-W-I-S-H-U-N-I-T-Y.net. And you can also find Jews for Joe and Jewish Unity on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn. Uh, we got the whole works. Awesome. Ethan, thank you so much again for your time. We really appreciate it. Thank you guys for having me. This was, this was a tremendous honor to be on with you guys, and I, I greatly appreciate you taking the time to speak with me. Of course. And to our listeners, thank you as always, and be sure to subscribe to our podcast on the Apple Podcast app, the Google Play Store, Spotify, or Stitcher. Follow us on social media at Malen Politics. Subscribe to our Patreon at patreon.com slash And of course, stay tuned for our next episode. Thanks.